It's a skill I have. My superpower is stopping conversations. I, I can see that. <laughs> and there's only two of us in here. I know. I'm great at parties. Yeah. <laughs> if ever you're at a party and you want somebody to come along and say something that's going to going to cause an awkward pause, I'm your druidy thing. Or Commander Hutch. Or Commander... No, no, Commander Hutch keeps talking. Yeah, that's the only problem. Everybody else doesn't. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, like me, Commander Hutch is, is very good at saying tedious things that nobody's really very interested in. What happened to him, anyway? He got... Like, halfway through the episode, he got shot, didn't he? And put on the floor. And after that, he just kind of vanished. He basically... He was never in the background on any of the shots. They never looked after him when he was injured. And he never he reappears at the end. No. It's like... Leaving one to conclude that he got murdered. He possibly did get murdered. But even if he did, the characters weren't even like, oh, ho, there goes Commander Hutch. No. Nobody they, ever they mentioned didn't. him again. No. He Weird. disappears halfway through that episode and just vanishes out of the script. Yeah. Like, he was never there. Never there at all. Maybe he wasn't. No. Maybe that's the... Maybe uh... he's like an extension of Data, like Scorpio was an extension of John. What? Do you remember? Is it Farscape? Yes, it's Farscape, but I only remember when they were being... Chased by Commander Crace, and I never really got to the Scorpio bit. The Scorpio bit is a bit Joan of Arc insane. Oh, wow. So Scorpio is essentially the villain, but as it goes on, you don't know... There's a version of him that lives in John's head that is basically like a permanent foil. Oh, like the... And he um... doesn't know whether he's hallucinating him or not, or whether it's just in his mind or not, or like, like the, the angel. Like the six in Gaius Baltar's head. Or like indeed, the, the Baltar in Six's head. Yeah, well, you find out later on that Scorpio is in John's head, and that's fairly well explored. But what you don't realise until much later in spoilers, but I figure it's fine. It's Farscape. It's like 47 years old. Yeah. Is that there's a version of John that lives in Scorpio's head. <gasps> he lives in his head rent-free. He does. Awesome. Sits on a spike. <laughs> Two spikes would be an extravagance. Two spikes would be an extravagance. <laughs> anyway, I can't help but think that we gathered ourselves here. Is that weddings or funerals? I might have just given us the wrong vibe there. Is dearly beloved weddings or funerals? Do you not have it at both? Do you? I mean, I know they can be quite wordy sometimes, but I think occasionally they're a bit economical. I suppose it is. I suppose it is. Because it's kind of like my fellow Americans, isn't it? It's just like your standard opener. Anyway, point I was going to make was... Ah, in Glasgow, it's a headbutt. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Glasgow's a lovely place. Um, my, my family... It's a magical place? It's a magical place. Anyway. Keep going, you'll get there. We have a Frithcast to do. Just do one more go around. You'll get to the landing in a minute. Definitely. We have a Frithcast to do. We do. Don't fudge it. And I would like... To, to tell go... you a story.
heavy black and pendulous? Always. <laughs> Only on a good day. <laughs> I would like to go back a little bit to when okay. we were talking about Commander Hutch. Yes. And we said that we thought he might have been murdered. We did. And that kind of neatly ties into our Murder, She Wrote episode. I thought it might. Which is today. Indeed. Yes. Hello, lovely listeners. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for jo- joining us towards the end of this episode yes. of podcast. See you next time. That was all. Hope, that hope was you've enjoyed the last hour. <laughs> okay. All right. Welcome around the virtual campfire. Just while while Suzanne Just composes herself. Take a breath. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome around the virtual campfire. There we go. I'm good. For this, our 128th episode. It is. Of Frithcast. Yes. Uh, you join me, who is not Suzanne, because that's Suzanne over there. I'm pointing pointlessly. Suzanne is a heathen with a head full of stuff, uh, much of which is, is, is quite useful, um, <coughs> depending on context, obviously. I am uh, not Suzanne. I am, in fact, Kate, the coffee-powered druid sort of slash witchy thing, sort of slash Romany thing. I don't know what, even what I am. Not Roman, not Romany. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we are here to welcome you around this uh, said campfire with, like, Hegogs and the Owl uh, Earl watching over us all. Yes. Uh, and just generally looking after the place. Uh, so draw up a log, warm your knees, poke the fire, grab a coffee... Don't poke Kate, just the fire. Get, get marshmallows. <clears throat> yeah. If you think you're hard enough. A hot drink of choice. A hot drink of choice. And join us as we do episode 101 and 8 of Frithcast, which is all about the letter... Th. 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 Boner to Varda, yeah? We are your boner podcasters. <laughs> Never fails to get a laugh. Use that one again. <laughs> oh, look at that parky floor. Boner. Boner. <sighs> yeah, we've taken a breath. We're here. We've got our hot drinks of choice. We are back around the virtual campfire. We are very, very glad you could come and join us for this. If we don't edit anything out of this opening section, it's 11 minutes long and we've only just said hello. I know. Well, we've said hello about 14 times. We have. So let's do the actual thing. Let's, what are we talking about tonight? So yeah, today I thought we'd look at another rune because every now and again we do a runic spotlight episode. So mm-hmm. I thought we'd use this episode to look at the third rune. The third the rune. Thur of third. As in Futhark. That's it. That's so thur. Thur. The third. Thark. For Thark. And the third sound is a voiceless dental fricative. I beg your pardon? It's all right, you can get tablets. I was going to say, did it get any authorization for that? It might have done. I don't think I can even <laughs> spell it, to be fair. A voiceless dental fricative it basically is... <clears throat> means th. Yeah. Th, only without That's... the voice I just did. Yeah. Th, 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 as opposed to th, which is a voiced dental it is, and your tongue does slightly different things, and you're going to be trying that out all day, lovely mm, listeners. Mm. You're going to be stood in queues going th, 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 and as, trying to figure out what the difference is. As long as we don't have to roll our R's Rrr. like that, yeah, because I can be as Scot- Scottish as you want, but I've never been able to do that. I just can't. Oh. I know. It's very sad. It is sad. 
it's like, you know, I don't know. I can't think of an example of what it's like. It's okay. like... Let's go back to the voiceless dental fricative. Please. Okay, so th sound. It's a letter. That th sound is a letter in Old English. Mm -hmm. It's also a letter in Old Norse, Old Swedish, Icelandic, Gothic, and some dialects of Middle English. It got around a bit then. It did. Got used quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. We now see it most commonly in Britain. I'm thinking of a particular pub in Stonegate in York. Okay. Called Ye Olde Starry Inn. Ye Olde Starry Inn. Yes. In I double N E. Inny. Inny. Ye Olde Starry Inny. Yeah. And okay. Starry in is star is S T A double R E. Yeah. So it's got everything going on in, in the that's, words. That's that's pretty elaborate. Yeah. So mm. why do we call it? Because the word we're particularly interested in is, of course, ye. Yes. Why do we say ye? <laughs> Yeet. Yeet. <laughs> Yeet it out the window. No, um, the ye at the beginning, the thorn shape, it looks like a thorn on a stem. Mm -hmm. That's the easy way to remember what this room looks like. It looks it, like It looks like thorn... this, listeners. I'm just drawing it out for you. That's, there you go. That's a pretty good drawing, actually. I thought so. Yeah, well done. I mean, it, from your point of view, it was the wrong way it's around. backwards, but... yeah. yeah but, from... but anybody standing behind me, cracked they it. got it. Yeah, they yeah. did. Well done. Um, so, yeah, it looks like a pictogram, a simple picture of a thorn on a stem mm -hmm. or the side of a stem. So that's one of the easiest ways that I remember what this room looks like. It's a vertical line with a triangle sticking out of the side of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a vertical shark. Yes. Yeah. Vertical shark. <laughs> <laughs> vertical shark. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh no! No! I'm, not I'm doing sorry, it. lovely listener. I'm not doing sorry. it. I'm not doing it. <sighs> Prithcast accepts no responsibility for you singing vertical shark all day either. <laughs> definitely not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yes. the ye that we see in signs like ye olde star inn or ye olde Cheshire cheese, which is down in London, mm -hmm. the Y at the beginning of that word is what our letter thorn turned into. Yeah. So it kind of shifted shape about a bit, and instead of being a thorn, was ended up being this capital letter Y, yeah, which is what we see on signs. So if you translate that back to its original third, it becomes the old, and it isn't quite as romantic. No, but it no. is authentic. It is authentic, yes. So rune poems, we've got three verses for this rune. It's one that arrives in all three poems. Okay. Bonus. Mm, nice. The Anglo-Saxon poem talks about thorns. Yeah. Which is good because that's what it looks like, vertical shark. Mm. It talks about thorns and it basically says, don't stick your hand near the bitty spikies bad vibe. That... But in posh language. Okay, fair enough. I was going to say it's, you know, that, that that's poetic. It is. It's like that, mm -hmm. but more poetic. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically, the Anglo-Saxon one talks about thorns. The Icelandic and Norwegian ones talk about something different. I want to come on to that closer towards the end. Okay. So the Anglo-Saxon one talking about thorns, there's a lot of European folklore mm -hmm. connected around little sort of stabby, spiky things like briars, brambles, uh, nettles. Yeah. Needles, especially ones on spinning wheels. Okay. You probably just had a couple of the folklore tales ping into your head. 
so the, the big one is Sleeping Beauty. Right. Pricks her finger on a spinning wheel, falls asleep, and her castle gets surrounded with briars, with brambles. Yes, of course, yeah. Covered in thorns. It's a thorn wall. So it, it it's fair to say, then, that there is a, there is a conceptual link between <laughs> the letter being called thorn and looking like a spike it is actually a representation of the of the plant or yeah, of the plant the, structure the anglo-saxon rune poem is definitely talking about thorns right okay and spikes and not going near them yeah and keeping that distance between spiky things and you yeah very the, safe yeah the the anglo-saxon norwegian rune poems talk about something slightly different and i'm going to come on to that sure yeah so the connection between thur that thorn sound thursas mm-hmm and European folklore, there's a lot of European folklore that's based around things like briars, brambles, yeah. um, needles on things like spinning wheels. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Sleeping Beauty. Yep. Snow White, you get the, the older tale Snow White and Rose Red about two daughters. Do you know, I remember that. Two sisters, Snow White and Rose Red. Yeah. Yeah. Only we get the slightly more questionable version of Snow White that has been sanitised for kids. Oh, and thank gods it has, because... The older one isn't, but in the original, Snow White's birth mum, her real mum, pricked her finger on a needle and used the drop of blood to wish for a child where she got Snow White and Rose Red. She got two daughters. Okay. So she's using a needle to, to draw blood. Yeah. Sleeping Beauty pricks her finger on a spinning wheel on the date of her 16th birthday. Yeah. Even though the king's commanded that all spinning wheels in the kingdom be destroyed, he misses the one in his own attic. Of course. And her castle gets covered in thorns, a a briar wall, a thorn wall to protect her. Yeah. Thinking about nettles and weaving and spikes, the spikes that are on nettles. Mm -hmm. Little, they're not so much thorns as like little tiny... Very, very tiny, tiny spines, some of which have an irritant in them. And in the story, the folklore story, The Wild Swans, uh, a sister has her seven brothers turned into swans. Okay. And she has a finite amount of time to pick nettles by hand. Ow. And take them down to the fibres by hand, so her hands get constantly stung. Yeah. And she has to stamp the fibres out of them with her feet. And then twist the fibres into thread yeah, and then weave seven shirts, one for each of her swan brothers, out what? of it. What is the finite amount of time? <clears throat> I mean, are we talking you know, hours? Are we talking it's a year. Oh, it's a year? Well, I can't remember see... whether it's a year or a month or something, but there's a finite um, amount of time I was going to say because she has to do the task in. If she's got a few months to go at, mm. she's she's pretty much golden because they stop working after a while. Nettles, when they get after a certain age, they stop stinging. So all she needs to do is leave it like a month or two till it gets to the end of like nettle season. She's got seven shirts to make, though. That's a lot of shirts. It's a lot of shirts. And she's got to do it all by hand. It's a lot of hands. And now it's a lot. Yeah, and she's got to do it herself. She can't like say to somebody, yeah. get me a room full of nettles because I need to spin them. I think, I think we can safely assume that the point is that she's supposed to suffer. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she's supposed to create these seven nettle shirts and she gets six and three quarters of them done in the time. And her youngest brother is missing a sleeve on his shirt. Right. 
So he ends up with one human arm in back in human form with one human arm and one swan wing because he didn't have the oh, last that's... sleeve wasn't finished. Oh, that's complicated. Yeah. But again, it's got nettles in and there's lots and lots of European folklore around. On the other hand, you could go and work for the local Fletcher. It could just stand there and, and just shake keep, a bit. Just keep producing feathers for yeah. the Yeah, that'd be swan good. Swan feathers, yeah. Or I don't know whether you use swan feathers for arrows, but <laughs> I'm sure, point point is I'm sure he'd have a use in society, you know. Yes. Because it's all about how useful people are. Yeah. It's, you know. This this is this is what society teaches us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> your worth is not based on your use in society. No. No, Kate. No. No, I'm, bad. No. I'm sure I read. I'm sure I read that somewhere. Maybe in like pure capitalism, maybe, <laughs> but no, no, Kate, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Step away from the capitalism, please. <laughs> Put the lid back on the capitalism, leave it alone. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? No, anyway, sorry. I'm not... <laughs> I'll leave the I'll leave the political ranting for for later. <sighs> Can I draw you back with a Roman god instead? Oh, by all means, Spiniensis. Spiny is he? Is he any relation to Spiny Norman? No. Oh shame. <laughs> Wasn't he one of the hedgehogs we've got round here somewhere? But yes, but he's based on. Was it a Monty Python or something like that? There was a sketch where somebody was. I can't remember an awful about. It. I'm sure there was somebody. Somebody who was like constantly afraid of this this hedgehog called Spiny Norman. Or something called Spiny Norman. Anyway, I'll look it up and put it okay. in the notes. Yeah. You know we're going to do show notes. Of course. Lovely listeners, you know we are going to do those. <laughs> and you know that we take you all over the place in our show notes. Also, it's a episode 118. Yes. How have we got, like, nearly 20 episodes past our big one in February? Oh, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's good. But, but scary. it's a bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. So who's Spiniensis? I mean, Spiniensis... That would that would say to me from Spinies. Yeah, Spiniensis is the god who makes the the bramble patches grow in the fields. Okay. And so he tends to be like very grumpily given offerings to to say, please can you make your bramble patches grow somewhere else? Alright. Here. Like the like like the guy in um the Discworld books. El Foul old Rob. Yes. Who who has Get a who paid get, to be somewhere else? Yes, he gets he gets he gets money for, from from um, offering not to go to people's social events yeah. and things. And he has yeah, a sign yeah, yeah. that says, "For some money, I won't follow you home." Yes. <laughs> good investment. <laughs> good good investment. No, Fabius Pictor talks about a Roman god called Spiniensis. Okay. Who basically is the god of the brambles and briars that grow in the fields that people don't want in there so they make offerings to spiniensis to say please grow your stuff but don't grow it in my ground yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of like i don't know reverse blessing i suppose yeah, yeah. i mean it's kind it's of like that is great work you're doing can you do it somewhere else yeah it's you're doing like, a, you're doing a grand this, job is this some kind of very early latinate shade that i wasn't <laughs> aware of we respect you hugely yeah please go away yes yeah Take um, your tacky shoes with you. <laughs> I'm impressed. This is this is theoretically one of my gods, and I didn't know anything about him. Yeah, I think that's about yeah. basically like the only line 
he gets, the only mention he gets, is from Fabius Pictor. Okay. He's, I don't think there's anywhere else that talks about Spiniensis. So it's, in a way, it's like some of the Norse goddesses especially. Yeah. Where they get basically a name drop or maybe half a sentence. And that's, and that's you never found out anything the else. The whole of what we know about them now is based on that yeah. little tiny, tiny reference. That's it. Oh, okay. But yeah, back to Thorns. Yeah. So... The other two poems, you've got an Icelandic rune poem and a Norwegian rune poem. Mm -hmm. And they have got a lot less verses than the Anglo-Saxon rune poem has. Okay. And they're a lot shorter in verse. They're a lot blunter. Yeah. And they both talk about Jotuns, that this rune is giants. All right. And that it's misfortunate and that it's it's not a good thing. Well, to be fair, giant, the only place to hide from a giant's sight is under his foot, and that brings you a whole different set of problems. Yes. Weight being one of them. Yes. But you're not being seen by it, technically. Well, no. No. But you are Generally being squashed by it. piled right into the <laughs> earth by about six and a half feet. Um, so, yeah, it's... Just brings you a whole different <laughs> set of considerations to manage. Yeah, okay. So, a lot of people associate this rune with Thor and his constant vigilance about the lands of Asgard and being able to beat back the Jotun, the hungry ones, the giants, away mm. from the borders or he's away in conflict with them somewhere. Okay. Like the building of the walls where he comes back from fighting the Jotun, finds a Jotun at the gates yeah, yeah. and has to deal with it there and then. You know, nobody's told him about the bargain or the oath or the fact that the gods have kind of tried to wriggle their way out of it. No, he just he arrives. Just walks up, sees a conflict and deals with it. Sees, sees, sees a Jotun. Yeah. And goes, um, oh, there's a Jotun by the, by the walls. I think I'll just with this hammer and everybody's like what do you mean it's a Jotun he's clearly wearing comedy gases and a moustache it's definitely not a Jotun yeah it's just some dude who yeah, came up and happens builder. to be able to build you know walls around this uh, this city in yeah yeah oh, no yeah. so yeah Thor rocks up from being away fighting the Jotuns and finds another one and goes oh for goodness sake thought I got rid of them all deals with that one as well Thump. so this rune can be one representing that constant conflict, that constant holding of of protective space. Okay. Like, you don't want to put your hands too close to a set of thorns, so you give it that protective space. Yeah, makes sense. It kind of implies that you're not going to put your hands near any of those wee little bitty spikies because, ow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a rune, for me, it can represent that conflict, that change it can sometimes be very representative of anger and frustration and under that anger can be fear that whatever it is is, you know, looking to take over or encroach or yeah. change the boundary of the things that I've set. So I've got to watch for that happening and make sure that I maintain that distance mm -hmm. and give myself that safety distance. And it can arrive, if it is all about that protective distance, there are other rooms that I would expect to see with it in an oracular reading. Yeah. That might warn me that that distance is either in place or needs looking at. Yeah. But this might be that first inkling of being able to choose a battle, being able to have success over forces that I might view as destructive, mm. but then destructive is subjective. Yeah. And what I view as destructive and unpleasant 
or um, unwanted, somebody else might not. Mm. So how do I balance? And it, yeah, and the the destructiveness is is, I mean, in all sorts of. So I'm not trying to sort of uh, necessarily get lump runes in with other divinatory disciplines, as it were. But destructive qualities of things are often in divination, often seen as renewal and yeah, they can sometimes all that kind be, of thing. Yeah, they can sometimes be seen as renewal, and what I might view as destructive in the moment mm. might be the beginning of a renewal. Yeah, or might be clearing something out so that something else can come in. But I might not see it at that at the minute, in that second, in that moment, in that moment I arrive at the walls of Asgard and see a Jotun at the gates, I've only got one response. Yeah. And it's a very cheerful kind of strike it with a hammer and, you know, end of problem. Yeah. It's a very direct action response to that, what I perceive as a threat. Yeah, yeah. But what I perceive as a threat is subjective. Mm. So how do I balance that in moving through the world as I do what do I perceive as threats and what do I perceive as threats needing sufficient direct action that I can walk up, not understand the situation beyond what I can see mm. and deal with it in the only way that I'm ever going to deal with it? For some reason, I find myself thinking of Predator. Hmm. I, I, I'm going off to a slight tangent, I know, but it's... it's slight t- lovely listeners, we never go off on tangents. <laughs> This we apologise f- for this disruption this to is our first. usual transmissions. <laughs> this is a first in 118 episodes. <laughs> Never before have we gone off on a tangent. Um, one of Never my... before have we not gone off on tangents. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm not by nature a military sort of person. No. Um, I have recently been playing rather a lot of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which is, um, which is about as military as I get. It's very pretty, though. It's very pretty. But carry on, Predator... But I've always liked, there's this one bit of Predator that I've always liked. I mean, apart from the fact that I like the film. But there's one one scene in particular that I've I've always sort of remembered. Um, I found memorable. And it's and it's this scene where I think it's Mac has gone out into the 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 the, the woods and he's seen this thing. Mm. He's seen the thing out in the out in the, the the hanging onto a tree, this shimmer in the air where the the the, the beastie is, and he sees its eyes mm. sort of flash green in the in the in the in the jungle, and he realizes this is the thing that's that's chasing them. And I seem to think this is quite this is into the film, some way into the film. So okay. the and he starts he opens fire into the woods, and he decides he's he's going to shoot this thing, which he can't properly see, and he's so he he's just starts he pulls the trigger and he just like unloads. The, all his, his entire magazine into the woods, and while he's firing, all his mates come up because they've heard the commotion. All his mates come up, and they all come and stand alongside him, and they all just open up into the woods. They all just start firing into the trees. Mm-hmm. They don't know what he's shooting at. Yeah. They don't. But the thing is, they don't need to know what he's shooting at because there is this understanding, this whole kind of teamwork bond between them all they just know that if Mac's shooting at something it's something they need to be shooting at as well yeah and it just reminded me when you said what is this what are these situations that i can come across where i 
I know there is a thing I have to do. I know there is a direct action I need to take. Mm. I don't necessarily know why. I don't necessarily know the context. And it was just that that image was just straight in my head of Max shooting into the trees and everybody else just coming up from behind and just standing alongside him and just starting shooting with him. And it was it's kind of a it, it, it's a, like I say, it's a moment that always stuck in my mind because it was just it said a lot about this team, I thought. Mm. The fact that they just had this implicit trust in each other that, like I say, if there was something he was shooting at, they needed to be shooting at it as well. Mm. And so it, you find a Jotun outside the gates of Asgard. Yeah. There is only one appropriate response. It's it's not the same situation, but it was just when no, you when you, when you said, uh, you know, I come across something and I know that there is a there is an action I need to take, but I might not know the full context. I might not, you know, and sometimes it is OK to perhaps to do that. When you're talking there about the fact that the whole team steps up against alongside the one, it brings into mind things like Declaration 127. Mm. Uh, yes. And it brings into mind being able to learn about things like institutionalised racism and appropriately challenge it and say, no, that is not appropriate. Mm. And brings into mind discrimination against people who are LGBT, yeah. where you stand and you add your voice to the shout mm. and yeah. you say, this is not appropriate. Even if you are not LGBT, especially if you are not LGBT, you walk up and you stand alongside. Yeah. And that, yeah, that it brings into mind that choice to action, that call to action. Mm. Do we do we take a direct action if it is obvious to us that something is implicitly not right, like with Mac? Yeah. Do we trust that the person standing up is has the right understanding of the situation and therefore we follow their actions and mm, mm. and or do we not yeah and and do we take a stand do we defend and then there's the ethics of that defending what we know to be right is subjective mm. each one of us around the virtual campfire has a slightly a different moral and ethical understanding of how we treat other people yeah it might be to do with our age, it might be to do with our geographical location, the culture we grew up in, the family that we had, but we all have a slightly different understanding. Mm. I mean, you and I probably have a very yeah. different understanding. I mean, we, you know, we know each other fairly well, I like to think. We might do after over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we know each other fairly well, but there are things, there are different values that we hold. There are things that we, we I, I think in most things we, we align yeah. But exactly what importance we place on something or how we think we should go about something is is distinct between us. And then the ethical consideration of how we think we should go about something mm. and then how we feel others should go about something. Mm. That's a whole different bag of ferrets. Like, for example, while it's not my really my place to say it, I kind of think Thor should have perhaps been a little bit less eager on the on the hammer there he, he was a little bit kind of quick off the mark to be you fair see, you yeah. know but and on the so, other hand if you're in like i say if you're in in a if you're in that situation where you've been you know where if you arrive and the and the, and the gods are all sort of having to go at this you know if they were all sort of throwing things out of, yeah. the, out of the out of the castle I just, i'm sorry i've just got this idea i've just got this thing about people throwing stuff out of a castle now 
You know the 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 the, the, the <laughs> giant of a wall he's built in a year and a day. <laughs> the Jotun standing <laughs> outside, months. and if I was Thor coming back from my my fighting of Jotuns and stuff, and maybe I didn't even maybe I didn't even recognise that this guy was one of them. But if I come back and I find all my mates throwing stuff at this guy outside the walls, mm. I'm going to wade up there and just whack him with my hammer because my mates are all throwing stuff at him. So that you know yeah. that that kind of tells me that that's. But you're right. Is there is there a question you might have wanted to ask before he took yeah. that action? And yeah, you know. how does that relate back to our our understandings of anger and frustration and fear in in the mid cycle and how those are portrayed? Yeah. And what you know, what intentions people are showing and what other people pick up from that and mm. then act on that, but yeah. that isn't quite the right message that is there. Yeah. So yeah, it's it kind of goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Um, for a little tiny thorn on a stem, it can take us some really kind of, you know, far out places. I think is the proper phrase. It's as good a phrase as any. Yeah. And this is before we even consider the uh, the various um, uh, uh, mythological, folkloric significances of thorns with regard to the other world. Oh, now you're talking. Lovely listeners, this one might take a while. <laughs> if you want to get a brew, <laughs> now's your pause point. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I mean, we we've touched on it already with regard to um, the keeping of space, mm. and the, the not only the protecting of space but the delineating of space, the segregation of space, and who is allowed within that and who is not. Yeah. So you have. Um, you have sort of, you know, various sort of mythologies of, of, of worlds being separated by walls of thorns and all that kind of thing. The hedge. The hedge in, in, in some, um, I, th I think that mostly comes from White Wolf, but I don't know where they got it from. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, the idea that there is there is this, this thorny barrier. I mean, I, yeah. sorry, I'm thinking of, I find myself thinking of Maleficent now, mm. you know. Um, Maleficent, yeah. Maleficent was I was actually I quite I I was thought it was surprisingly good. Well, she had cheekbones you could open letters with. It was amazing. She did have rather made up cheekbones, <laughs> didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> they had to try and match. I guess they had to try and match the. Um, they did the the, 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 the the animated one. But I'm very glad they took the animated one and they sanitized it from the original Grimm's fairy tales because my gods. <laughs> yeah. That that goes places you do not want to start telling children about at night time. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Maleficent, which was the the Disney um, Angelina Jolie uh, movie telling the story of Sleeping Beauty from the the witch's point of view, mm. and it had her as uh, as as a one of the fae, yeah. in, in effect. And at one point, she raises a barrier between her land and the human land, and it's this it's this massive wall of of thorns and spiky spiky plants. Yeah, very much based in European folklore. Yeah. And of course, if you're in a different part of Midgard, your folklore about thorns and things like spinning wheels, needles, nettles, briars might be completely different. Mm, possibly. And it might be worth digging into what that is around, you know, what folklore there is around your local area or your national area in this case, we've sort of got Derbyshire folklore, UK folklore, European folklore mm, mm. that we can pull on and, and start exploring about, you know, what is, what does a thorn represent? Does it represent that um, 
success over destructive forces? Does it represent that conflict, that anger, that frustration, that what what are our experiences of anger? You can go into that whole kind mm. of understanding of what anger is and what fear drives yeah. anger, where that is rooted, where it is based. Or you can look at, you know, the, the European, uh, the, the folklore connections with things like thorns as a protective force. Yeah. Or thorns as a, um, yeah, like that barrier force you were talking mm. about as that delineating space. I mean, it, it may be that that is, maybe that, that has its origins in, in, in Celtic folklore because, um, I mean, they they have always, especially, I think it's especially in, in, in Ireland, but I guess probably in, in Scottish folklore as well, but the belief in in sort of the 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 little folk and the or whatever you want to call them the, mm. the, the the lords and ladies and so on, they used to be very strongly associated with hawthorn bushes, and things like that. So maybe it's just a maybe it sort of stems has its has its roots in there. I see what you did there. What's that? Which bit? You've just said maybe it stems from there. Maybe it has its roots in there. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was entirely intentional, of course. <laughs> Yes, no, I was doing, um, I was doing botanical, uh, botanical punnery. Botanical punnery? Yes. Yes, that was, that was the intention all along. I can see that. <laughs> I am amazed. Really? Yes. Okay. See, mazes. Amazes! Mazes. Very good, yes. Thanks. Yes. I thought I'd bring those in as well. That's, that's awesome. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so that's Thorn. It is thorn, and depending on which aspect you want to take, which rune poem you want to study, there are those very two very distinctive, different aspects to this one rune. Yeah. That's without getting into what you might see as a, um, a reversed meaning, or you might see it as an inverted meaning, where the rune is is typically backwards from where you can write it yeah where you would tradition the way you would traditionally write it it's mirrored obviously it has or to be mirrored inverted. horizontally because it's symmetrically vertical yes. vertically symmetrical yes symmetrically vertical i vertically asymmetric do, 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 <laughs> i'm sorry i just default to, default to the sharks shark song because <laughs> And yes, I am doing jokes out of a out of a meme that's like forty years old. Well, what we of it? We can do that. <laughs> we can do that. Lovely listeners, we're going to leave you pondering thorns. Mm, careful now. Yes, and literally, if there was a TLDR for this entire episode, it would be those two words. Careful now. Careful now. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely listeners, we're going to leave you around the virtual campfire for today. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode. We are rocketing towards episode 119 at the beginning of December 2021 and our very next random reel. So all the shiny bits that we felt were worth saving off the cutting room bucket (laughs) have been carefully hoarded over the year. Yes, you heard us right. There are bits that we don't put in. (laughs) There are bits that we don't put in. Some of our outtakes are a little bit too out there. They all get saved up and put in a random reel. <laughs> Lovely listeners, that random reel, Odin Santa is going to do us a big favour and deliver that random reel to you around Yule time 2021. We're just 
in negotiations. Santa Glug! Santa Glug. Yes. Okay. We're in negotiations with Santa Glug to get that to you by Yule of this year. We very much hope that you enjoyed today's episode and all the episodes, the, all the one episodes that are coming between now and the random <laughs> reel for this year. Give me all your one, one apple. One <laughs> apple and they will give you this coin. <clears throat> if you would like to find us online, <laughs> if you haven't had enough from listening to this episode and you want to come and find us online and say hi. God help you. <laughs> you are very welcome to do so. <laughs> You can find me, my name is Suzanne Martin, you can find me on Facebook under that name, or you can find me on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. And if you want to find, for some reason, you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook as Kate Coldwind. And uh, if you also find your way to uh, Facebook, you will find our um, podcast page, which is at fb.com slash frithcastpod. And from there, there's a little group you can join and also a link to our Discord server where you can come and chat to us. Yeah. Uh, and to several of, of, of the other lovely listeners who uh, who spend their time in there. Yeah. Not all their time, some of their time. Yeah. The, the I mean, they have other things to do is, as well. Is always lit. Mm. The kettle is always on. There's usually somebody around and about that you can have a chat to at any point. Yeah. Lovely listeners, we hope to see you around there soon. If not, we will catch you at our next episode, episode 119, releasing in just a couple of weeks' time. We'll see you then. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay.